You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, our number is 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can always email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and we'll get back with as many answers to as many questions as we possibly could. Um, I am somehow wide awake. You people. I don't know how people take these early morning flights out. I don't know how you sleep on a plane. I had to wake up at 3.30, which means I woke up at 3 o'clock, because then I couldn't sleep. And it's not like I went to sleep any earlier. And uh, drove to the airport, waited online... I was bringing through, this was a new one, um, my hot cocoa mix. Bring back a package for the kids, a hot cocoa mix. It actually tested positive for being an explosive, so that sort of delayed me getting onto the plane. Um, Not sure why, but they fixed it. And um, a nice flight, quiet, but that's a lot of hours to be up and running and back and forth. It was a good trip. Successful trip. I got to see all the kids, the grandkids, spent time with my mother. We had a party. We, I visited my father's grave. It was all fast, in, out, a lot accomplished. I actually had a great time. I had an extra hour and change, so I was in a bookstore, a Jewish bookstore. Books and books, so many books and so many on so many topics, so many interesting things. If not for the fact that I didn't pay for a carry-on, so I only had my little bag with me. I don't know what I would have bought, but I knew I couldn't schlep everything back. So uh, one or two things, we snuck into the suitcase over there and brought it in, got to read it on the way back. So we love books. Books are fantastic. And sure enough, today we have an author of two books, Um, one you may be familiar with. Her name is Dina Estrin. We're going to speak to her later. She wrote It Happened at the Heritage House. Um... Stories or tales, I'm sorry, tales from the legendary Jerusalem Youth Hostel. But that's not the book we're going to talk about, even though I wish we were. We're going to talk about a new book she has out called Everyday Wholeness. Um, Life Just Got Even Better. And um, I guess an aside, you know, on my social media, I try to write a quick, you know, little blurb so people will look at it and be interested. And um, I I was trying to say we're going to talk about good eating habits and family. But the way I wrote it came out about a good eating a family. So somebody sent me the comment, the back and forth. And these social medias, for those who understand how it works, as soon as you have a back and forth conversation, um, your your post explodes and many, many more people actually see what you wrote. So I'm starting to think maybe I should make more mistakes. And we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But okay, so we gotta we're gonna talk with her. That'll be in the next segment. We gotta talk about Abraham. Lots and lots of good stuff. This is the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, where God sends Abraham off to the land of Israel. 
we begin the 10 tests for Abraham. So we got to get into all that good stuff. Of course, our letter of the week, our word of the week. And we will see, as always, where life is going to take us. So let's actually start before this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion actually begins, Abraham is 75 years old. So it's not the first time that God will actually talk to Abraham. The first time God talks to Abraham, Abraham is 70. That's actually later in this week's Torah portion. The beginning of the Torah portion, Abraham is 75. God will start the first of 10 tests over the next two weeks, at least in the Torah portions, over the next two weeks. In, uh, in years, ways, it's going to be over about 60 years. But before we even start the Torah portion, Abraham has to discover God. So what happens is, um, Abraham is born. His father's name is Terach. And the king at the time was a man by the name of Nimrod. You ever hear a guy called a Nimrod? It probably comes from that name. But anyways, his name was Nimrod, and they were very into astrology. Astrology was a big deal. And his astrologers told him something's happening by Terach. He had a kid that was born. And um, that kid is going to take away your throne. He's going to start up, up with you. He's going to destroy you. So it would be a good idea to get rid of Abraham. Or they didn't know it was Abraham, whoever the kid is. It is interesting that we find in a few different places, again, however the idea of astrology works, that they could look into the stars, and they could see the future, and it was very unclear, and uh, they certainly made major mistakes, but they always seemed to feel that they could counteract what the stars said if they snuffed it out early enough. Here, Nimrod wants to kill Abraham. We find the Pharaoh wants to kill Moses because they see in the future these people will start up with them. So <clears throat> there must be something about why they thought they could actually do this. I'm not really sure the answers. But what's interesting is at the end of the day, they tried and they were unable to start up with those future predictions. And we're not discussing how it works. If God knows the future, so do I have a free choice, free will? That's, that's a long conversation for another day and not the conversation I have time for today. A different day, we'll talk about it. So the message comes to Terach. He had a kid that was born. Give him to me. I'm going to kill him and I'll give you a house full of gold or something. So uh, Terah makes a switch with a maid's uh, child. In those days, your maid servants, your slaves didn't have very much value anyways. But he knows he has to hide Abraham. So Abraham is hidden in a cave and somebody feeds him and somebody brings him food. But for the most part, he does not have any interaction with anyone. And he's just in this cave alone. Sometime later, when his father Terah feels it's safe to bring him out of the cave, whether he's three, whether he's 13, whether he's even older, against different opinions, nothing is written down. So um, he gets out of the cave, and he, he just sees an amazing world in front of him. And he wants to figure out what's going on. And he looks at the sun, maybe the sun is God, and the sun disappears, and the moon comes out, maybe the moon is God. And he's a, he's a, a big thinker. He has a brain that works as a philosopher, and he just sees how everything in the world is taken care of. All the bugs, and all the animals, and all the plant life, and human life, and everybody's fed, and, and there's food for everybody, and you have this whole intricate 
world that works. So Abraham says there is no way that this could be happenstance, that the whole world could just work. It's just too perfect. Therefore, there must be something behind the scenes that's making everything work, and that's how Abraham discovered God. So great. So you would almost think, okay, I discovered God. Now God talked to me. It's not happening. So Abraham discovers God, knows there's a God, but God is not talking to Abraham for many, many years. In the meanwhile, Abraham is going to run around telling people and arguing with people. Maimonides talks about this, um, arguing with people philosophically. These were smart people. These were intelligent people. He wasn't just talking to barbarians that are, were clueless with no intelligence. He would have debates with them saying, you got to believe there's a God. And he and his wife, Sarah, um, actually convert people to the concept of one God. No, no idols, no sun, no moon. There is a God on top of everything and all power and every, all control comes from God. No commands, no rules and regulations, just the concept that you have to believe that there is a God. End of story. And he was picking up followers. So now let's get into the concept of a test. So Abraham has gone ahead and he has basically created, I don't want to say his own religion, but to a certain extent, maybe he has created his own religion. That he is telling people there is one God above everything and God doesn't want you to do idol worship. That was pretty much the, the main focus of what Abraham was trying to accomplish. So what happens? So Abraham and his understanding of God is going to have his own, which makes sense, his own rules and regulations of what God wants him to do. So this is what Abraham is busy doing. Um, I skipped the whole part of the story, but maybe later we'll get into it because right now we're, I say I'm going to have time for this. Let's, let's move on with this. So Abraham is, has, again, has created his sense of understanding of what God wants and and people do this all the time, right? Now, there's something you believe in, and, and you set the rules, and you set the regulations, and this is how we do things. The concept of a test is not doing what you believe in. Of course you do what you believe in. You believe in God, and somebody says, if, you believe, if, if you're not going to get rid of your belief in God, I'm going to kill you. So kill me. This is what I believe in. What do you want? I, I, you can't change what I believe in. I have good reason to believe there's a God. I believe there's a God. You want to kill me? Kill me. But I just bow down to your, to your sticks and stones for what? The concept of a test is that after you've created your own belief system and now God's going to come along and rock the boat, what happens? Can you, if you really believe in God, just because you had your path that you felt was correct— but God now comes and rocks the boat. Can you handle it? Or you can't handle it. If you can handle it, you pass the test. If you can't handle it, so again, it's a test. We're not saying you didn't believe in God, but, but you failed the test. So for example, Abraham is busy running around in this area of the world that he lives in, and he's convincing people there's a God, and people are hearing about him, and he's, he's basically created his own school where there's he and his wife have men and women. They're convincing that there's one God, and you have to believe in God, and no idol worship. And God says, Abraham, pick up and leave. Just start traveling. It's not like nowadays. You're going to travel. You're going to go where? You're going to 
you're going to start what? You're going to start all over with no money, with no family to take care of you, with no place to call home. You're going to move into a new neighborhood, new languages, and you're going to start to again from scratch after you have this whole school. People in the surrounding areas know all about you. You're already a little bit famous. You obviously have some way of, of creating your own wealth. So, so what's going to happen? So in Abraham's mind, Abraham should say to himself, look, I believe I'm doing what God wants. People find out about me. I'm, I'm being successful. And God says, pack out of town. Start all over again. I'm 70 years old. I'm 75 years old already. I'm sorry. I'm 75. Who says I'll be successful if I start all over again? Right now I see success. So that's a test. Because you believe that you have it right, you have it correct, you're doing it the right way, and God comes along and says, you're very good, it's very wonderful, it's very beautiful, now I want you to pack out of town and go wherever. So that's a test, because you've already decided what's right and what's wrong, and now God's telling you, I'm rocking the boat. So Abraham will travel. He'll go him, his wife, and his nephew. His brother had been killed. He takes care of his brother, the, the, his nephew. His nephew's name is Lot, right? Like uh, Pillar of Salt, Lot's wife. We're gonna, that's next week's story portion. So Abraham knows that God wants him to go to Israel. He understands the place to be where God hangs out is Israel. So he heads towards Israel. He travels. And as soon as he gets to the land of Israel, figuring this is what God wanted me to do. Okay, now I'm in Israel. I'll start all over again. Next test. What happens? For the first time, I guess, in their, in their history, however long we're going to count the years, 300 years from the flood already, um, there's a hunger. There had never been a hunger before. So Abraham arrives in the place that God told him to go, where he, he assumed, and assumed correctly, by the way, that God wanted him to go to Israel. He shows up in Israel, and there's a hunger. Like, his immediate... Reaction should be, hello, God, I listened to you. I went where you wanted. And as soon as I get here, there's problems. So again, God is rocking the boat. Can you handle the things are not going as smooth as you would like them to be? You would like that you get to land Israel. You find a place to build. You find a place to park yourself and tents. And, and you have your animals. And you'll start making money again. You'll start talking to people and teaching people about God. You got all that set up so perfect. and But you can't even start. Because as soon as you get to Israel, there's a hunger. You can't stay. So that becomes the next test. Now, it's interesting debatable if Abraham made the correct choice when this test happened. In other words, the main part of the test is how are you reacting to the hunger? Are you complaining and saying, God, this is not what I signed up for? Or this is what God wants. I don't know why he wants it, but this is the way it's going to be. Okay, I'll deal with it. So in either case, Abraham decides he should travel to Egypt. Um, it seems... From the different commentaries, Egypt was much more, I guess, barbaric. Whatever, whatever level of a society existed, but Egypt was not the land of Israel. So Abraham is traveling down to Egypt, and he understands that if he goes into Egypt with his wife, um, the automatic thing will happen is they're going to kill him, and they're going to take his wife. It's automatic. And as soon as they figure out his wife is married to him, 
So I was telling my class, murder did not bother them in those days. Okay, you got to kill somebody. Okay, what are you going to do? You got to kill somebody. But, <clears throat> but, to take a lady who's married, can't do that. Can't take a lady who's married. But I want to marry this lady, I'll kill her husband. So, again, I'm not sure why that was the thought process in those days, but certainly in Egypt that was the thought process. So Abraham's on his way down to Egypt, and this is, again, this is a sticking point again, uh, uh, amongst the commentators. Um, if you know that Egypt is a rotten place, how are you traveling there with your wife? Like, what, what are you thinking? There's a hunger? Maybe go back home. I, I don't know what you should do, but how could you go to Egypt? So one of the answers given is that Abraham understands that God's taking care of him, and this is what God wants. So this is what God wants. So he could do a miracle in one place, do a miracle in another place. So he'll do a miracle. So again, but if Abraham now is relying on a miracle, so just stay in the land of Israel, and God will do a miracle, and you'll have food. Like, how do you know which way to choose? Like, how did you know what to pick? In any case... Abraham decides he is on his way down to Egypt. He tells his wife, says, say you're my sister. Say, otherwise they're going to kill me. What's going to be? They're going to automatically kidnap you, and, and someone's going to want to marry you? God will have to deal with it. So sure enough, <coughs> sure enough, they go down. I got to hit that cough button. Sorry about that. So sure enough, they're on their way down. Um, everybody says, yeah, Abraham and Sarah, brother and sister. Uh, Sarah is so beautiful. They take her to the Pharaoh's palace. And the Pharaoh wants to marry her, and now Cyrus says, not happening, you can't marry me, um, I'm really married, an angel comes and protects her, okay, that's a different miracle, which we don't have time for now. So, you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi and Let's Talk Torah. We're going to be joined by Dina Estrin right after the break, so hold through the break, and we're going to be right back. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of the drop-in with Daryl Valley. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Wait, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. Then you get off your couch and you make life happen. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? 
And we're back. I'm not sure why I'm leaning into the mic over there. I don't have to lean into the mic, but we are back. And we are joined by our guest, Dina Estrin, all the way from Israel. A fun life coach, by the way, as we'll see. Author of two books, Everyday Life Just Got Better. Um, I did that backwards. Um, it happened because that happened to the Heritage House. Oh, I really messed up that one. Ah, but really what we're here for is we want to know about... Dina, you're going to really give it to me on this one. I wrote it down wrong. But wholesome, every everyday wholesome. Dina, are you there? Miss. Yeah, you know, I'm going to... I wrote it down wrong. You're going to help me on this one. Your book that we're working on is... What's the name of that book again? What's your book's name? You there, Tina? Hello? Did I lose her? I lost her? Okay, Dina, they're gonna, are you there now? No, Dina, I need you to call me back. I lost you while I got confused. That's not good. That is not good at all. Here is the name of her book. When we get her back, her, the name of her book is Everyday Whole, Wholeness. Life Just Got Even Better. That is the name of the book we're going to talk about today. Her second book is It Happened at the Heritage House, Tales from the Legendary Jerusalem Youth Hostel. Why I was on the wrong page reading her book, I do not know, and I do apologize. But I got that straight, and I will get the message as soon as she's back. Okay, so while we're waiting for Dina to get back, I have no idea what happened to our phones over there. But we are busy talking about what happens with the with Sarah who was kidnapped, basically. I mean, she wasn't really kidnapped because she told everybody she's Abraham's sister. And, and so the Pharaoh wants to marry her, and now the Pharaoh wants to sleep with her, and, the, and she says to the Pharaoh, I'm really married. So the Pharaoh is not interested because he just wanted Sarah. She's back? Okay, Dina, are you back? Yes, but I, I can't hear you very well all of a sudden. But I didn't hang up on you because you said the title wrong, I promise. I know, I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> once you left, it, it's, it's called It's Everyday Wholeness, right? Yes, yes. Everyday Wholeness, life just got even better. Is that it? Yes. Um, everyday Wholeness. Um, or that's just your love life. Coaching for the Jewish it. Family. Okay, good. That's your first book, really, your second book. And the other book is It Happened at the Heritage House, Tales from the Legendary Jerusalem Youth Hostel. Now I got it right. Sorry, yes. I had the wrong but, paper in front of me. But can you hear me well okay. now? Okay, we're on. Okay, good. But can you hear me? Two, de- two very different books, yes. Very different. And we'll touch on both, but our main goal today is we're going to talk about um, everyday wholeness. But let's, let's take it slow. First, to introduce everyone, who is Dina Estrin? Who is Dina Estrin? Okay, I know it's a big no-no to answer that question with what you do, but I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do. That's okay. So that's what fine. I do, um, so um, I studied life coaching and, sorry? Go ahead. I studied life coaching and I did workshops and teaching and it brought me into writing. And uh, at the present, now I'm doing, um, I enjoyed so much um, bringing out my own book that now what I love to do is help other people bring out their books. So I'm doing a lot of ghost writing. So this year's projects uh, involve uh, a man who, a Hasidic man who became um, a drug addict and his journey through that and back. And now he helps other people. And now he's, we're writing a book about that. And another um, person who was a selective mute and she is now writing a book about um, shy children and selective mutes. And so right now I'm in, more into the writing, 
um, than the workshops, but I still do some workshops online. Oh, good. Good to know the writing. Actually, the second book, both books sound interesting. Um, the administration in the school I'm in, we're actually debating if a child in my class um, actually is a selective mute or not. I don't think uh-huh. so. Yeah, well, she says that there. Um, every class had one or two that she when she was teaching for 25 years. Oh, wow. So maybe, yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so it's oh. very, very common. And um, yes, and there's real quick ways to deal with it according to her uh, her method. Okay, when the book comes out, you must tell me so I can learn more to, okay. certainly to help the child in my class. So when, okay. we, when we were talking, we found out that we almost have a connection, certainly a mutual uh, connection all the way back to Muncie and to a Rabbi Switiski. And as you told right. me, Rabbi Switiski had a major influence on you and your book. How did you meet Rabbi Switiski? Okay, so yeah, well, I, I guess we have to go back to, I was a university student in Vienna, and I, my travels took me through Israel, and that's where I uh, got introduced to Torah Judaism for the first time. So uh, this is, we're talking in the 80s, and, um, and I ended up spending the year in Israel, and uh, when I came back to my home, New City, um, I really didn't know which direction I, I needed to see how it could work in with my past and my in real life you know it's very inspiring in israel and it's very exciting and then you come back and you, can i really do this so that's when i met rev Azriel tauber uh Zitzel, and he um seeing my we used to have some interesting uh heated discussions about all kinds of things you know me coming from my very atheist home and we we really got into things and he said one day there's somebody i want you to meet and uh, Rabbi Switiski had just moved from Detroit uh, to Muncie to teach at Orsamach, and that's where it all started. And, uh, you know, that was like 30 years ago, and he's been a very big part of my life, our family's life, my husband, who is very discerning, um, knew, knew something good when he saw it and took him on as his Rav, and very, very involved with our whole family. Wow, amazing, amazing. To I this told day. you, I, I actually learned or studied with one of his children um, as a tutoring uh, when I was first married. I mean, this guy goes back ah. more. It goes back. Yeah, about I think you remember that. Ago. I mentioned it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Cool. And then when I and then when I started to um, work at the Heritage House uh, the, in the following years, so which is the basis of the second book is my journal of those five years of living and working as a madracha as a, as a counselor in the Heritage House. So I had all these people coming through with all kinds, of, you know, from everywhere in the world, and people with Eastern religions, and you know, and everything, uh, psych, you know, uh, addictions, you know, everything came through that door, and uh, I had to field all these different issues, and I was always on the phone with him, you know, what what is it about Eastern religions? He was able to field all my questions and get me through all those different scenarios. So. Uh, but he was a part of that book also, and you know that those years, those five years, very much so. Oh, it's like, I was and saying. he actually, um, he actually became the we called it the Heritage House of Muncie because I would bring people back from uh, you know every year I'd come visit my family, come back from Israel, from living in the old city in Jerusalem in the in the youth hostel, and uh, come back in the fall and uh, visit. And he had the um, Aravis. 
business with somebody else, with his family and somebody else. And that's another uh, connection we have. Yes, you worked the a rubbish? Yeah, I... Um uh, probably as a twelve-year-old or a thirteen-year-old, uh, there's a something, oh. we, something we do before the well, really during the Sukkot holidays, we bang these these willow branches. Not really willow branches, but these arava branches on the grounds. You have to have five in a bundle, so they would pay. Right, us. I remember it so clearly, so yeah. clearly. It brings me right back. Any mention of it brings me back to crisp autumn air and cutting the aravas in the mountains, and it really helped me fuse. Like my, you know, how I grew up, which was very outdoors in the mountains, and also, you know, and uh, coming to be a Ravis, when I first met the Switiskis, though it was a Ravis season, and we went up to the mountains, and that's where we had a lot of our conversations, you know, while cutting these Ravis off the bushes, and it really helped me fuse, like, this is something I can do. Here we are in the mountains. It's very natural and uh, and healthy. And he really has like a very, you know, strong me- message of, you know, creating like a very healthy Yiddishkeit. So it was very important to me, you know, coming from the very, uh, you know, high clouds of being in Israel to come back and see that it really is very down to earth and very healthy, a um, healthy path. It's so funny because that's a great memory. My memory is, um, I would never call it child labor, but we got paid five cents for every bundle we tied up. So we would sit there through the right. night and, and wrap it and tie it and wrap it and tie it. And we, right. We used to pull all-nighters. And then I started bringing these Heritage House girls to come work over there. And we just had such a ball, you know, all night, binding these arevis, you know, as fast as you can and seeing how much you can make. And they really, and through that, they connected to the Switiski family. And it was always very good. He, their whole, a whole community built up around the Switiski home based on the Aravis work. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. But I like the words you used. You called it like a healthy Jewishness, a healthy Yiddishkeit. Um, and really the book, the, um, your everyday wholeness. I should really yes. write this out. Okay, I got it right. I, I keep changing my pages. It's everyday like finding wholeness, wholeness in everyday mundane life. Right. And and so your book is 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 with this healthy background going through it's officially six uh different sections. We're gonna see at this point it's only five uh different sections. But I have right. about a minute and a half to my first break. So let's just in the first break, if you could give us an overview of all the the in this book at least, the five healthy parts of living that you're bringing out in this book. What are they? Right. So, um, so when I was very busy with my raising a family, so I really wanted, like, you know, um, to cover what was happening in my day. So we think, we eat, we hopefully laugh. Um, I have to explain why the laughing is there, the, the humor section. But, um, and we organize ourselves and we accomplish and we connect spiritually through prayer. Um, so, uh, the, so those are the sections. Number one is the thinking and the judging minds, because we're always thinking and judging and, uh, uh, you know, constant messages going through our minds. So that's something we live with all day, every day, and how to handle that and best, you know, elevate it. Okay, and then number two is the eating connection, because we're always eating. <laughs> yes, eating happens all through the day, and especially if you're Jewish. Okay, and then three is the humor connection, and uh, each one of these has a very practical side and an inspirational side, um, and it's really trying to link the mundane with the transcendent, each one. So, and number four would be the or- organized home connection, is 
um, also a practical and a deeper side to what's going on in our homes and a lot of practical things. And then five is the prayer connection. And, and all this is in relation to coaching. And um, I can explain when we come back from the break um, how, they're all how they're all connected to coaching. But they each one, if you really want a coaching session, you could go right to the morning prayers, for example. And cool. I'll explain later how. Right, so, Dina, we're going to go to break now. When we come back from the break, we're going to do as best as we could to talk about your style and the different sections and what you're looking to accomplish. You listen to Rabbi Tzvi. I'm joined by Dina Estrin. Hold through the break and we're going to be right back. Do you want to see things like this? You just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Uh... Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win. Can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. At times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's the... <laughs> get umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. And we're back. Dina, are you still with us? We, I am with you. Excellent. Okay, so before we get nitty-gritty, two important questions. Um, number yeah. one, uh, and I've read through the book, um, how would you describe your style? Oh, okay. So my style very much came through what I needed, which was, you know, like I said, from a busy home, I really needed a daily, short inspirational and practical, um, you know, so I needed it. So I guess my style is a bit punchy because, um, and I, I think I consider it like a little bit multimedia um, because today there's such an overload of information. So I think that people are looking more for an experience. So I tried to make each unit, like each page, which goes to each day, um, that kind of, unit of, um, of first starting with an inspirational quote, something quick that you could just look at, and one quote, 
um, and then um, some content, and then a strategy, something that I can, a takeaway right away, something I can put into effect that day. So a uh, combination of those three things are happening um, on each couple of pages, hopefully. So when someone's reading your book, are they supposed to, you know, in one sitting go through a whole section, or it's really something you sort of leave on the counter, open it up, read it for um, a few minutes? Well, I've heard so many different things. Like I have a friend who's very ADHD, and she said she never she never finishes a book, but she read it in one night. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Sometimes people just like, um, I like to use it as a daily, you know, every day to pick it up and um, and just some, some inspiration and practical every Every day, one you know, one unit every day. But um, uh, people can you know want to focus on eating. They can look more into the eating fo- uh, section if they want to focus more on prayer. So you can look on the prayer, whatever really inspires you. So it's it's. I guess it could be used uh, any way. Good. So and when a person reads through the book, so really a lot of the information um, is is universal. And as I don't have to be Jewish or or religious to to take away good stuff for for everyday living from the book, but um, you definitely throughout the book want to describe how each idea is based on a Torah thought. Why was that important? Right. Um, well, it was important just because it was for me. It was true because once I started looking into the different coaching principles, I saw that there was so. Once you look at it from a Torah source, um, or even just you know just regular information, it, it takes you to a deeper level and it gives it more meaning. And once you know, for example, um, with eating, let's say, um, yes, it's healthy and yes, it feels good and it's a good idea to do it and make you live better. But it's also um, a mitzvah. To, you know, it says ma'od. You should really be especially careful to guard your life, so that already gives it um, mean, you know, extra meaning. And also, uh, once I started looking into the eating uh, topic, I started coming up with these fascinating things on um, beyond health and feeling good and uh, fitness, but that it's such a major theme in Torah, right from the opening scene, right in the beginning of recorded history, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, right there, there's the eating issue, and it goes straight through, um, you know, the the whole, all of Torah, the eating issue is, is there. So there, it just it just brought me deeper to see that there's like a lot more going on here than just uh, what the surface of eating is. Oh, okay, so, so we, we, we've actually got, our, got ourselves a... Uh, Talking about your first um, section, which is something that everybody deals with all the time, and eating, and too much eating, and I feel good, and I don't feel good, but it really tastes good, and I really enjoy it, and I really want to eat it, and I don't like to diet, and I diet, and it doesn't work, and it does work. So give us, you know, a quick 30 seconds before we get to the next one, or a minute. Um, what what are you trying to accomplish in that first section of, uh, well, actually, a second where we skipped the thinking and judging mind, but we're into eating already. Yeah, we'll go back to that, maybe. We'll get back. Yeah, Tell so me what, what am I ca- trying to accomplish? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, how what a major topic it is. Um, and there is, um, you know, there's the, everybody knows the definition of a, of a Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Yeah, and um, 
juice, you know, every holiday and, um, you know, even every holiday has its food. Even, even Yom Kippur, we're not going to let a fast day get away with not having this big meal before. And actually, in Torah literature, the, that meal is considered on a higher level than even the fast, uh, the way it's described. Uh, but in that practical level, um, there's so much to work on. I don't know what to say first, but there's like the, the Rambam. Um, he has so much to tell us. He says one of the, the, the greatest... If I had to boil it down, I think I would say this. One of the greatest um, thing, uh, steps we can take for our health is to not overeat, to eat less. And um, actually, one of the uh, – I bring a lot of research, and uh, one, of the, one of the researchers who was in uh, Okinawa, he, um, he said that there's a, they have a Japanese word for um, eating until 80% full – called Howdy Hachibu, is oh, eating until 80% full. So the question is, like you're saying, how do you accomplish that? So then there's mindful eating, and there's the hunger numbers, and all that's discussed. And, um, and then there's fitness, and, you know, again, the Rambam, you know, there was a lot of surprising. He sounds like a, uh, you know, he's, he's in the 13th century, but he sounds like a modern-day coach in a lot of ways. I always thought that the only exercise that the Jews in the Middle Ages got were running from the Crusaders, but we see him talking about uh, exercise, and um, there's a lot of steps we can take, and I try to bring in a lot of uh, the, um, the practical and a lot of the research. For example, uh, many people don't know that, um, you know, that uh, people are lactose intolerant, let's say, and they call it now more lactose tolerant because it's unusual to be uh, that 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 milk that cow's milk would agree with a person. So, but that's the general population. For example, is fifty percent uh, intolerant of cow's milk. By Jews, if you look up the research, seventy percent of Jew, of Jews for some reason are lactose intolerant. So it's these are things to try out and see how it feels and see if it makes you feel better. There's so much we can try and and shift around and see what works. For example, on Shabbos, we could, uh, you know, just like we take a step back and we try to enjoy our family differently and spend time with them and everything slows down in a certain way, so we could do that with the foods. It doesn't have to be just all a lot of food. It could be special foods, and it could be healthy food, and uh, we could practice mindful eating on Shabbos, and uh, there's a lot we can do to slow down and pay attention to our eating on Shabbos, not just overeat. That's an always a that's very often a very big challenge, the, the Shabbos eating challenge. Something that I so those definitely are just a have few to work areas on. that a person can you know try out and make shifts. Amazing. And we're listening to Dina Estrin, author of Everyday Wholeness. So we're talking about food and eating, which is a good section in the book. And as, as we're listening to you talk, um, you just throw in like just lines and jokes. And one of, the, one of the really interesting, enjoyable parts of the book is your section on humor. Um, what's humor oh, yeah. doing in the book? <laughs> like it's a whole section. Like, go ahead. Right. So, so what's that doing there, right? So, so um I, I grew up in a home with a very funny brother. So early on, I realized there's a, a real power to humor. And, um, and later on, as an early teen, let's say, I realized, so I, was, I remember watching this one um, 
comedian, his name, I even remember his name, David Brenner, and I even remember the joke, but I can't tell it on, on, tell, on whatever. Thank you. <laughs> but I do remember it because it really made an impression because I said to myself as a young teen, I said, why does it seem that all the comedians are Jewish? One after another that I was watching, all the funny shows and all the funny comedians, they were all Jewish. So, um, so that's kind of stuck in my head. Why are Jews funny? Um, okay, so then um, it took a long time until I actually got that answer, but I really, um, it's based on Moshe Shapiro, Rev. Moshe Shapiro, the Tzal, and um, it's based on, um, so besides, so again, the, there's the practical and then the deeper side. So the practical is say that humor really has the power to lift a person out of like very sticky situations, conflict. Um, there's a very interesting uh, um, research, you know, with Do- John Gottman, who he say he can. He's famous for being able to predict which marriages will end in divorce based on how he observes how they argue. And he mentions that when they use humor to lift themselves and to break the the the, the gridlock, so then um, that's that that counts as one of the things that really uh, point to being able to resolve things. And, and not end in divorce. He, he, he's able to predict with 90% accuracy. So anyway, uh, humor is really great. With teens, it's great. Um, it just gets you out of sticky situations. So, But on the deeper side, um, I learned that actually one-third of our Jewish genes are based in humor because one of the forefathers is named Yitzhak, and he and that literally means laughter. So, but when you look at Yitzchak, you would think, "Wow, that's the least funny of all the three avos, the the, the forefathers." So, you know, Avram maybe when he brought in guests, he used a little laughter to make them feel comfortable. Maybe him or Yaakov, he was balanced. Jacob, he maybe he was balanced, but Yitzchak was stern, kind of uh, strength, gavura, and so. The idea is, um, I think the best way to illustrate it is by telling a short joke. So, please, so this please, man was driving down Tel Aviv Highway, and his um, wife calls up frantic and says, Avi, Avi, what do you, you have to be careful. You have to be so careful. I just heard on the news that a crazy man is driving down the highway in the wrong direction. And Avi says to his wife, he said, what do you mean, one person everybody's driving in the wrong direction okay. so what what's what's the joke is what is the structure of a joke it's a b c d q it jumps to q it's a regular story it follows the storyline a b c d and then it jumps all of a sudden to q um so um to explain it very quickly just that i yitzhak isaac he is the personality that has the strength to make that jump this perseverance this Stubbornness, the you know, go, going into the fire in the Inquisition, uh, holding on to values when values are crumbling, um, that leads to the strength that of the Jews that gets us to this last laugh, like that we say in uh, in the um, you know, our mouths were filled with laughter in uh, Shira Malos say before. Dina, we, we if say I after, tell you, after blessing time, over bread, so we sing this. Time is flying so fast. I'm really just about up to my break. We barely scratched two sections of your book. I hope everybody who's listening picks up that book. 
Go guess it's called that again. Everyday wholeness by Dina Estrin. Dina, I'm gonna have to get into my break, but I, I have enough time left. Please tell us number one how we can get that book and learn all the other oh, sections. Oh, okay. So um, any major uh, Jewish bookstore it should be um, online. It's through Manucha Publishers, um, Everyday Wholeness Manucha Publishers, and the second book, The Heritage House. It happened to, at the Heritage House, which is based on the five-year uh, five journal of all the stories coming through. Um, that is uh, Manucha Publishers uh, Heritage House, and um, anybody in Jerusalem can come pick up an author's copy. You can send me an email, estrindb at gmail.com. That's E-S-T-R-I-N-D-B at gmail.com. Cool. Dina, this was so much fun. We clearly did not have enough time. So we're going to for sure in the future get back again. I don't know which book we'll talk about, but I do appreciate so much you coming on. Um, have a great Chavez. And again, look for that book, Everyday Wholeness by Dina Estrin. Go ahead, Dina. You want to say one last thing? Good and thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Good Chavez. Be well. Okay. You're listening Good. to Rabbi Tzvi. We're at the break. Hold through the break. We'll finish up the show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. Bury <laughs> yeah. the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. Then you get off your couch and you make life happen. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. Umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. And we're back. Oh, that that last interview was fantastic. We could have gone for another hour. I, I think I did like half, a quarter of the questions I had for Dina, and I could have come up with more. But uh, time flies when you're having fun. We'll bring her back. We'll talk more. But really, a great book worth reading, enjoying. And she actually has some pretty good jokes in the book that you can actually use. I did not keep any here, but uh, I should have. But in any case... Um, we got to start the alphabet all over again. We are now all the way back at the beginning, almost on time for our Torah portions. We're three weeks in to the uh, to our 
go, going through the Torah again. But we're back to our letter Aleph. First letter in the alphabet, that letter's right behind me. I hope am I right? Yes, it is. The first letter of the Aleph base, it is Aleph. Um, Aleph's numerical value is one. Um, it is interesting. It's an interesting letter. It's not my letter of the week, not my word of the week, but Aryeh, the lion, the king. Um, the first letter of his name, of the lion's name, is an Aleph, the Aryeh in Hebrew. Actually, the first letter in the Ten Commandments is Anochi. Again, it's letter Aleph. Um, what's interesting is the letter Aleph does not have any sound of its own. It's, it's like a vowel. As whatever dots and dashes we put under or over the Aleph will create its sound. But on its own, the first letter has no sound, which is interesting. Um, the letter A, by the way, is the first letter in the alphabet because the other alphabets out there, and alpha in Greek, um, they follow along the pattern of the Aleph base. That's all very interesting. But my word this week is usser. Usser is normally thought of as a word that means forbidden, but really it means locked up. Like your hands are tied um, is usser. So it is an interesting word that's used to say something's forbidden when really the word means tied up. In other words, if God says I can't eat a certain food, so even though that food is in front of me, we're talking about with Dina with food, but it's if my hands are tied, which really, um, I guess if you juxtapose it, is fascinating because we all make fun that all Jewish holidays and Jewish mothers and <coughs> and food. And uh, I, again, I was just into New York. And what was there? There was food. And I go to the restaurant and there's food. And So on one hand, the Torah has a whole bunch of dietary laws. On the other hand, we're always eating, which I think is really part of the point. In other words, the Torah doesn't say you can't eat. The Torah says certain things you can't eat. And we almost prove it by having an overabundance of things to eat and always eating, almost to say, I know, God, you said all these foods I can't have, but there's all kinds of good stuff I could have. And then you're going to pick up Dina's book, and then you're going to find out with all the stuff I'm supposed to be eating, but uh, moderation, that's the Maimonides she was quoting, uh, moderation is really always going to be um, the way to go. Um, interesting. Um, I did not tell Dina that I have this, but I found she had written an article, I think in the Jewish press, and she had a nice, kind uh, <coughs> of use this cough button, and uh, she had a really a nice story, a personal story, um, which is also an Aleph word, where we talk about emuna, belief, uh, we, we watch how God runs the world. She had really a very interesting, beautiful story. So it seems um, her husband, and uh, and uh, and uh, and her husband's friend had both been away traveling, and when the husband's friend comes back, he's uh, telling over a story, and uh, Dean is listening over to the story, and he talks about how he's in Vienna, and it's the morning, it's time for morning prayers, so he starts getting ready for prayers, and he realizes that he doesn't have his prayer book. Now, a lot of the prayers we may know by heart, but there's certain things that they're a little bit harder to remember by heart, and it helps to have a prayer book. He figures, look, I got to pray. I guess it was the day before your smartphones have the prayers on it, so you just click it in. So um, while he's there and he's getting to one of the hard parts, all of a sudden a, um, a, a steward comes over, sees he's a rabbi, I guess, and says, I found this prayer book. You know, Would you like it? And he can't talk because he's in the middle of prayers, and he nods his head, and he takes it, and he gets, he gives a smile and a thumbs up, and he thanks him. And he goes to pray. He finishes praying. He opens up the 
the inside cover to see whose name. And sure enough, the last name is Estrin, this, this Dina Estrin's name. So Dina hears the story. She, her husband, I guess, walks in after she hears the story. And he says that he himself had also been um, in Vienna as he was uh, passing through. And he says, yeah, you know, our son uh, lost his prayer book. So this Dina says, you'd never believe your study partner actually has his hand on your prayer book. So please go back and get our son's prayer book. So it's just the whole, the whole story, just the whole, as we say, the heilach heilach, how the whole story happens and goes, that uh, one person needs the prayer book, he gets it when he needs it. The person who lost it really gets it returned to him, even though he lost it, you know, halfway across the world. So I had a prayer book. I lost it. You got to use it when you needed it. Um, but you know me, so you bring me back my prayer book. So in the circle, as everything wraps around, everybody is really all happy. And uh, as as uh, the story ends well, just a very, just, you know, sometimes we have to open our eyes and see how God has taken care of us. And so so all these all these things, there's nothing just happens as I just went to New York. So just happens that people need a ride who just happen to live in my neighborhood and they couldn't bring a car with them and, and it, was a, it was snowy this morning and the icy roads and if people would have had to drive out there to pick these people up would have been dangerous, but I'm already there and I already got to go back and I'm not in such a major rush. So the people who need a ride, I very, you know, gladly drive them where they need to go, which is in the neighborhood where I had to go to pray in a certain area. And they, both these people happen to live right there. So you got to open your eyes, see how God's taking care of the world. And my time has run out again. Here comes the music. So, as always, thank you to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have Kelsey, Angel, Steven, Zach. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.